Well, I know you've been blessed so far. We're going to see if we can continue that. You can probably tell by the title of the message this morning that it's going to be a little different. I have on there, I had several different messages that I was, I guess as God was moving upon my heart, kind of the directions, the flow of how things were supposed to take place, but this is kind of where we, we settled down. And the question is, to rise up or to give in? Now, when you say the word rise up, people are like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, we're going to grab torches and pitchforks and all that kind of stuff. Well, I don't know, maybe before it's all said and done, just kidding, just kidding. But what I will say is spiritually, I believe that God more than ever, and especially in this time in which we live, as we see the compromise, and not simply just compromise, but the in-your-face rebellion, rebellion against God, rebellion against uh, societal Uh, norms and also I'm talking about like the family and also um, this attack on morality you know we we, we look back and people are beginning to to say as they've said over the years but especially now they look at yesteryear and they say well you know what we're wiser today we have arisen we have somehow excelled those of the past and now we know that all that stuff that everybody was telling us, we shouldn't be doing this, we shouldn't be doing that, that all that is is people trying to control you and not allow you to have the freedom to express yourself exactly as you please. Well, people, let me tell you something. To express yourself exactly as you please most of the time is going to result in something the Bible refers to as sin. And sin has a consequence. But before we discuss the consequences, I think it's important to note that sin, Jesus himself said, that sin is enslaving. No one just sits sits there and dabbles in sin a little bit every once in a while and does not get bit by it. The one that commits sin, sin like a seed in very fertile ground, and consider yourself very fertile ground, spiritually speaking. The smallest of sins will begin to take root in your life and unless they are plucked up, and I'm talking about really plucked up by the root, they will continue to hinder you, to walk after you, to haunt you, and to try to enslave you for the rest of your life. And the ultimate result of sin, Jesus said, is death. There's no escape from it. There's no escape from it. Statistics show with the exception of Enoch... (laughs) excuse me, that one out of every one person dies. Some of you will get that statistic here. Yeah, you'll get that statistic here shortly. It, It comes for everybody. But the point is, is what does your life mean? What does it stand for? Because whether you believe it or not, your life will leave a mark here. It does. There are people that say, well, my life is very insignificant. Therefore, one day I will pass away and nobody will say anything about me. And I understand that there are those that maybe do not have a lot of family. But I have found that your life consists more 
Uh, let me rephrase. Your life does consist more than the last breaths upon the earth, as important as those are. But the whole of your life together throughout eternity has impact and also has the potential for great impact. And the question is, is what will we do with this life? For what will I be known? Now, most people as they're growing up, especially in their younger years, they are concerned. You know, they want to think to themselves, well, what will I be? Will I be great? You know, am I going to be that person that everybody knows their name and, you know, I'm going to be famous or I'm going to be known for something greater? People are going to look at me and they're going to say, woo that's somebody special. It's interesting to me that the older I get, the less that is very appealing to me. Because I'm finding it's not... It's not Shane Phillips leaving the mark of Shane Phillips that matters. I don't want to be known for Shane Phillips. I hope that Shane is known as a Christian man. I hope that Shane Phillips is known as someone who loves Jesus Christ with all his heart. I hope I am known as a good husband. I hope in some small way I am known as a good father and I hope that my father in heaven finds me faithful. I hope that he does. That's what I want. But as far as people walking around and saying, woo, got to hear Shane today or woo, you see what Shane did? Forget it. I don't want it. You want to know why? I don't need the pride. I don't need the temptation. I don't need all the garbage that comes with it. There is only one that need to be exalted. And his name is Jesus. Because there is nothing, absolutely nothing I have that I did not receive from him. That's what the scripture teaches. All that I can be, it comes from him. And the question is, is with what he has given me, what will I do with it? You remember the parable of the talents. To each one in this life, God gives them the measure of what they can handle, what they can do with in this life. It doesn't mean that someone who maybe has more as far as from the outside, he is entrusted with a responsibility of more, is better than somebody else. No, the Bible says he gives to each one according to your giftedness, according to what he has invested in you. He says, this is right for you. Now take it and do something with it. The problem in this world today, and I'm not necessarily preaching to you, We have a very, very good church that seems to be growing in so many powerful ways, spiritually, especially here lately. And people, understand this, that Easter's right around the corner. If you're not praying about Easter, we're behind the curve. But we have a lot of good people in here and people that have a life, giftings that have been given to them here. But when you look at the church universal... And yes, I guess so, also in Bristol as well. But people do far more to squander 
what God has given them than rather using it for his glory. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. Maybe it is sin. Maybe it is that we as pastors and we as churches have failed people to teach them, to call them. Because there has been way too much compromise in this world. Everybody just wants to bow the knee. Well, let's just get along. Let's just get along. Let's just get along. Well, that was fine until they started shutting down churches. That was fine until people on the street corners talking about Jesus, not screaming at people, not looking at him, telling people, you know, hey, you burn in hell. That wasn't what they were doing. They were out there talking about Jesus and offering the gift of love. And the next thing you know, they are in prison for it. You say, Shane, that doesn't happen in America. Yes, it does. But it happens predominantly in a lot of other countries too. Because somebody is talking about Jesus. That should never have been. It should never have happened. That's the way it was in the beginning. That's the way it was in early Rome. We were an illicit religion and we were hunted down for it. And God, by his grace, moved upon these 11 individuals, soon 12, moved upon them and they so took a world by storm. But people, the apostles died. And when they died, somebody had to take up that mantle. Somebody had to do it. Somebody has to stand up and say no more. Now, let me tell you something. I'm not an Apostle Paul. I'm not an Apostle Peter. I don't know that I could handle the responsibility of being an Apostle. Of course, we're not the early church either. In a time that we needed that direction like none other so that we could establish what the church was, what Christ had commanded, and here, now we go walk in it. But people, I will tell you this, it doesn't matter if I'm a that. It doesn't matter if you're a that or that person. God didn't call you to be that person. God called you to be, are you ready for this? A Christian. He called you to be someone who belongs to Christ, whose life is surrendered to him in every single way. Now, I know, I know, but listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Did I say listen to me? Listen to me. I know people that we struggle and we stumble. Some people get it in their minds when a preacher preaches, you know, about holiness, that he's preaching perfection. Well, it's kind of hard for me to preach perfection when I'm not perfect. But what I am saying is just because I stumble and fall does not mean that I stop reaching for Christ. If I stumble, it doesn't mean that I'm still not reaching for that goal in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if the enemy comes against me. It doesn't matter, you know, if I have my weaknesses and my shortcomings from time to time. What matters is that I get back up and form Satan that he is a liar... And you say, well, how do you know he's lying? His lips are moving. And you inform he's a liar and you say, no, I stand on what Christ Jesus stands. I stand on the forgiveness that he offers me. I stand that his blood is greater than my sin. And you get back up and you get to moving. Because it's high time that we start influencing our families. We're thinking and we're so concerned about the world around us and our families are falling apart. 
How are we going to fix them whenever we can't fix our own backyard? Daddies, you need to start being daddies. That's me. I'm talking to me. Shane Phillips, you need to start being a daddy. You say, well, Shane, you try to be a good father. Yeah, I do, but I blow it. As a matter of fact, I'm looking in here. Is my daughter? Oh, no, I believe my daughter's down there in the youth room. I was going to have her. Where's my son? Well, good. Let's pick on them. <laughs> no, but I will ask them sometimes. I'll tell them I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not being the best father. I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've made along the way. And they, they, they do. They are kind to me. I don't know if I, I totally agree with them. They said, Dad, you have been a good dad. Now, I'll say, now, be brutally honest with me. Daddy has blown it from time to time, hadn't he? And they said, oh, <laughs> yeah, you've blown it. You've blown it quite a few times. But I want to be a good father. And I'll tell you this. If I can't love my kids, if I can't give them direction in life, and if I can't, you know, if you're full of the devil, don't try to give them Jesus. Because you don't have it to give. What I'm saying is don't look at them and say, don't do as I do, do as I say. My daddy used to say that to me all the time. And whenever I questioned it, I got lit up. But I've told him in later years, I said, daddy, that's hogwash. And he looks at me and he says, what do you mean? I said, don't do as I do, do as I say. So if you're out there sinning and rebellion, I'm supposed to just be right and do what I'm supposed to do. And dad said, you know, you're right. Example, examples, everything. To live Jesus Christ. The commandment from Scripture is parents teach your children so that they may fear the Lord and love Him and walk with Him. They need to see the love, life, the goodness, holiness of Jesus in you and me. Here's another. Ooh, you ready for a toughie? Here comes a toughie. toughie. Husbands, you got to start being husbands. I've got to stop. There was a time, there was a time, not too terribly long ago, where with my wife, I didn't feel like I was being treated like I should be treated. I didn't feel like my wife was being what she needed to be to me. And I started getting upset about it because I started thinking, you know, Shane, you're so awesome. Just in case you're wondering, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You ain't all that. Nor am I. But I started getting upset and I started nitpicking all the time. And then I found out that me, I'm, I'm always ill with my wife. I'm always ill with my wife. Something's always wrong. Something's always wrong. You know what's wrong? Me. I don't care. She can be wrong too. But I was wrong. How about being the person that builds up my wife, encourages my wife? How about the person that shows my wife what a husband is supposed to be? How about I love my wife the way Christ loved the church? Oh, I'm about to get ugly. I don't know if I can say what I'm about to say. Because everybody's like, well, you know, Pastor, you ought not be talking about such things. I'm going to say something. And you're going to get angry at me. Might be my last sermon here. You ready for this? 
Get out your notes so you can take it down word for word. Don't lie about me. Oh, no, this is going out over the air, isn't it? It, it, right, right, it, they're not going to be able to make that out. (laughs) Gentlemen, this happens more on our side of the fence, so I'm going to say it this way. Start genuinely loving your wife, being gentle and tender to her, and showing her what true intimacy is, rather than expecting her to be a prostitute. Or you. Did I say it? Shane Phillips. Your pastor, maybe not much longer. But here's the thing. She is your helpmate. Not a toy to use. Start loving her. Start respecting her. Start showing her the love that Christ had. And you might be surprised at what your life and your family and your marriage might be. Ooh, did I say that? Yes, I did. Felt liberating to say it too. You know why I said it to you? Because God said it to me years ago. She is your wife, not a thing. Mm. Well, now that all the air is light in here and everybody's comfortable with everything, I guess we can move on now. But anyway... The time is to rise up. And to rise up, we need to rise up in our families first. We need to be what we need to be in our family. We need godly families. We need people to see the, uh, what a family really is in Christ. We need healed marriages. We need people to see what a marriage is supposed to be. How are people supposed to be out there fixing what's going on in their lives if they don't have an example, if they don't have somebody to pull from, if there is not the example of Jesus in the world? We're supposed to be those people. We are our brothers and sisters keepers. So let's take a look at this. Everybody grab your Bibles real quick and let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. Scripture that you know, but I want you to see something. See, even in Israel, even among the people of God called by his name, the holder of the word of God, the holder of the covenants, can people fail and come short? Yes, they can. Can those very same people involve themselves in idolatry and worship things other than God? You ready for this? Yes, we can. So here you go. So Isaiah comes into the temple and he sets the stage and God please bless the reading of your word that it may touch our hearts and lives in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord he is saying I saw God I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple he walks into the temple and he looks up and God is lifted up on this throne and the robe comes down and covers the entire temple it fills it all God is there with his people but what you have to know is we say God is with us if God is truly with us then God sees us he sees the good And let me tell you something more than what you may realize. Your father is for you. We see God in heaven with a big stick in his hands, and that is not it. I know we've talked about it many times, but Jesus has holes, people. Holes in his hands, holes in his side. He loves you. He's committed to you. He will forgive you. He sent Jesus. God's heart is not to destroy you. God's heart is to save you. And me, 
And I'd like to be one of them saved folk. Okay? So his road fills the temple. And while he's there, he's seeing this vision. And all of a sudden, these heavenly beings appear before the Lord. It says, above the Lord's throne, there were the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. That is, to hide their faces from the glory of God. With two, they covered the rest of their body. And with two, they were flying around. But they cried one to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. People, you look around you, you behold his glory. The problem is that human beings have put some mess there. Sometimes you have to look around the mess to see it. But I will tell you this, look to your left and look to your right. My friends, you are beholding the image of the almighty God. God tells us not to make graven images, people, because he's already got an image. It's in us. We are supposed to reflect him to the world not stand and pretend that we're God, but to reflect the one true and only God. So anyway, they're crying out, holy, holy, and worshiping God. The whole earth is full of, the glo- of his glory. And it says in verse 4, and the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. That smoke is the visible Shekinah glory of God. It is God's presence, like a mist filling the entire place. The smoke of his glory. And a lot of the time, it is protect us from seeing things we ought not see. But anyway, so I. Now, what's the response to this? Here's a priest. Here's a holy man, right? Whenever he looks upon God, does he say, Woo, finally, my day, I get to see God. Or, ooh, wow, I tell you what, this is an awesome experience. I can't wait to go write 50 bucks, or 50 million bucks, And I can't wait to get out there and tell everybody how preciously chosen I am and how I'm better than everybody else because God did this. That's what we do. And the fact is is that no one, no one stands any taller at Calvary. You want to exalt somebody, you want to put them on a pedestal, make sure that person's Jesus. So anyway... But what does he say? No, he falls. He's broken. He looks upon God, and the first thing he realizes is, you know what? I'm not what I should be. I failed. My people have failed. I've failed. We're all guilty. And he cries out, and he says, woe is me. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What he's saying is that I've got sin. I live in the midst of people that have sin. Call whatever sin you want to, but the point is, I am not perfect. I am not right where I need to be. And now let me tell you something. If it was not for the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no way I'd be able to enter heaven. There's no way. I would never be clean. And as faulty and as broken as I am, I'm so grateful that Christ's blood paid for my sin. He died for me and for you so that I could be forgiven. What a wonderful, merciful and gracious Savior. Nobody loves you that much. Let me tell you something. Nobody on this earth loves you any more than your mama. And Jesus loves you more than your mama. Here we go. 
I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. He has sin in his life. And I dwell in the midst of a people who sin as well, unclean lips. For my eyes, what has happened? I have seen the king. In other words, I'm looking upon God. And you know what the rightful consequence is? The rightful consequence is that I have blown it. That I have turned away from my God and I should be judged. And that is the expectation. But let's see what happens. Then it says, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched it to my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Why? 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 Well, it's the altar. It's the altar where the sacrifices are burned. It's where they make intercession to God, where the sacrifice for sins would have been offered. And he took that coal and he came over there with the, sim- the symbolism of that forgiveness and the burning away. And he touches it to his lips and he says, God has forgiven you. And there's other symbolism there. But anyway, your sin is taken away. But here we go. And your sin, your sin, Isaiah, is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Interesting, isn't it? Sounds neat. Sounds like the calling of a prophet, and it is. But listen to the words. Who will I send to this generation? Who will listen to me? Who will stand up for me? Who will rise up for me? Who will be? Who can I put my spirit upon to go for me into this world? And to share my truth so people might hear and people might turn from sin. And that's another thing, folks. Nobody, nobody. There's no more altar and repentance, crying, tears on the altar. Man, we all, we we all repented out, you know. We, we, We got it, right? So often, we're not broken for sin. But anyway, so this voice cries out and he says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I love the story. Because Isaiah cries out in the midst of all this that happened. He looks at God and he says, You know what? I'll go. Send me. Here am I. Send me. I want to go. I will try to my best to be obedient to you. Send me to make a difference in this generation. And then he hears what he needs to say. Catch this. Here am I, send me, verse 9. And he said, go then, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but you won't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and not heal them. What does that mean, Shane? What he's saying is this. He's talking about judgment. He's talking to those who have heard the message but refuse to listen to it. He lives in the midst of a people whose hearts have grown dull. They're callous. They don't want to hear. And so he says, go on and preach. But you know what the problem is? They're not going to hear. Go on, tell them the truth. But they're not going to understand. Because if they would, 
If they would hear your voice, if they would listen, if they would return to me and stop living in their arrogance, stop living in, oh, it's okay land, and truly be broken before me, he said, I would come and heal them. I would. Do we really believe whenever we are insincere with God? I'm not talking about blowing it, making some mistakes, you know, people having struggles and sins. God understands that as long as you're a sincere desire and you are working toward holiness, that's one thing. You got struggles, addictions, God understands that and he's working with you. But I will tell you this, there's many, many more that are insincere with God, that do not change, but they give God lip service. And do you know what they want from God? When they do that, when they look at God and say, now they'll say, God, please forgive me. God, please heal me. They'll say all these things. But what they're really saying is this, is God, I, I want things to be right between you and me, but I still want to live like I want to live, do like I want to do. And God, whatever I want to gauge in, I want to do it because God, I don't know necessarily that all that stuff is bad. But God, please give me the blessing. Please give me the forgiveness. God, please help me in every single turn. If you are insincere with God, do not expect a sincere response. I won't have it either if I play games with God. So what do we need? Everybody, if you will, take a look at Matthew chapter 9, just a couple of verses. I'm going to read this quickly. Matthew chapter 9, starting verse 35, it says, Then... Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. He was teaching, listen, teaching in their synagogues. He's instructing them, telling them what God wants from them and how to live before him and how to to love and to care for one another, to walk rightly before the Lord. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And as he does that, he looks out and he sees all these people that are surrounding him. Let me tell you something. You start living Jesus. You start going out there and sincerely impacting the world. They'll start coming. They come around you. They want what you've got. They're starting to hear about it and they'll start coming. But look, Jesus looks up, sees the multitude, and he is moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep that don't have a shepherd. He could see where is the shepherd? Where are the people caring for them? And so Jesus turns and he looks at his disciples and he says, the harvest, look around you in other words, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is all around us. Imagine for a minute that you and I lived in the great state of South Carolina. You might think that Georgia is the peach state, and it is. But South Carolina produces a whole lot more peaches, or at least they did a couple of years ago. You go to Gaffney, you will see a very, very weird water tower up there that's supposed to be a peach. We all know it looks like something else. But anyway, imagine for a moment, as far as we could see around this church, we had 
fruit groves. We have apples. We have oranges. We've got peaches. We've got all kinds of things that are around us. And let's say those trees have the largest fruit that you can possibly imagine. They are doubled over and just almost scraping the ground. We've got fruit all up under them, falling off the tree. And here we are sitting in the midst of it, and nobody wants to go pick the fruit. And every one of us are complaining because we're starving. There it is. Just got to go get it, right? You got to go out there in the day. Yes, it's going to get hot sometimes. Yes, you might scratch yourself every once in a while, but there's plenty of fruit. Why would you starve when it was all around you? Why must the kingdom of God go with no fruit whenever it's all around us? Every day, you and I have the opportunity to pick fruit for our Father. We always talk about planting seed. Jesus says, yeah, you can plant seeds, but the, the fields are white. It's time to harvest. So while we are planting in people's lives, there's so many more that are ready. Thanks, I encourage you. I encourage you in the Spirit of God. I encourage you for what is already there, that you are uh, citizens of a kingdom, that you belong to Christ Jesus, and His power and His Holy Spirit is with us. To not go out of these doors and to be the same, to not treat your family uh, in any way other than what Christ has commanded, to be the parents that God has called you to be, to be the husband and wife and the lovers that God has called you to be, to love and to reach beyond yourselves and to let people see Christ. Reach out, grab them, pull them in. Tonight we'll be doing some studying, but we will be doing some instructing as well. But tonight, today, let's do this. As the worship team is coming, I'd like to ask you some questions about where you are in your spiritual growth. People, you do not, in my mind, this isn't one of those things, pastor preaches a message, and as long as we have 30 people at the altar, wow, it was a good message. Nope. And how it works. What this altar is, is a place for you and Jesus to meet. It is an opportunity for you to step out in faith whenever you feel the Spirit of God calling you. And if God is drawing your heart, why would you remain where you are? Now, if God's speaking to you and you're fine right there where you are, that's fine. I'm not saying that you have to make special things. But what I am saying is that sometimes God will ask you to step out as a recognition to show forth to your brothers and sisters around you, not that you should be worried about them, but to show to them, you know who's number one? Jesus is number one. You know, I'm going down here because I want to make sure, as Christ is leading me, that I am living and being exactly what he wants me to be. Today, if you need special prayer, I'm down here. There'll be other people that'll come up and pray if I'm praying with somebody else. And here's the deal. If you need special prayer, please come. Let us pray with you about anything. Anything. It doesn't have to be about the message. It could be whatever God's dealing with you about. If you need special prayer as far as being anointed with oil, we can do that too. Today, if you don't know Jesus, or also, let's say you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus, please do not walk out of here without him. 
The altars will be open. You can stand to my right or my left. You can kneel to my right or to my left. And if your knees won't let you do that, you can sit on the front row. The important thing, people, is do not let life, don't let insecurity, don't let the people around you keep you from Jesus. If I have a need, don't want to offend you, but I will step around you to get to Jesus. Because he's the one that's got the answer. If you'd all stand, please. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I would be drifting like a ship. Father, we ask your blessing. Father, not that we can just be blessed, but Father, that we can hear your voice, that you would give us ears to hear, that our hearts will be willing to obey, that our wills, God, will be turned to you. Please forgive us. Please heal us. Please use us. Father, glorify your name in us. Pray, Father, that this church will be known for its love and grace to each other. To you, Lord God, we give all thanks.
We ask a blessing upon the youth next door. We ask a blessing upon the service tonight. God, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing of your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you clear out today, I know you're leaving. Remember, right across the street over here, the youth will be having baked spaghetti and salads and uh, desserts. Oh, my. But anyway, uh, if you want to go next door, you're certainly welcome to be there. You do not have to have, quote, unquote, a sweetheart or something like that. But it is a donation thing for the summer. So uh, if you are just absolutely loaded with cash, or if you're down to your last $5, we'll take it. I'm just kidding. No. No. If you would slide next door, we have to-go plates that you can get, or if you just want to make a donation, you're certainly welcome to, to help them with summer camp. I love you folks. God bless you. God be with you. Good night. Or good afternoon, rather.